Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the 2010 Alleluia Conference. In this session, entitled, O Four A Dozen Tongues to Sing, Tim Studstill shares learning techniques that will help small choirs sing well and enjoy an exciting and fulfilling ministry in today's church. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia. question the title or, or uh, have liked the title make sure I'm talking about this is the make sure this is the one that, oh for a dozen tons to sing that is what we're scheduled for this class and okay I'm, I get real ADD and, and sometimes forget I think I, I try to get everything in order for us so um, well my name is Tim Studstill and uh, I tell people I'm a third generation church musician my grandmother was an organist and uh, we would go visit her and she would always play the organ, play something special, and usually I'd like to hear the chimes, have these little little beauty set of chimes hanging on the wall, and I think she'd play When They Ring Those Golden Bells, and she'd play that for Timmy, so that, you know, because I like to hear that, so she'd like, da 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 bing dum dum you know, da 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 you know, she'd play those and ring those for me just for a few minutes, I liked them, and all that, and she paid for me to take piano lessons, because she wanted to have a grandchild that had, you know, was a musician, was one of her dreams. And she had 18 grandchildren, and two of us ended up as music majors. I have a cousin that was a percussion major, and she named her daughter Timpani. And uh, <clears throat> so her, my uncle calls her Boom Boom. But uh, we have a weird family. He's a preacher. But uh, so anyway, my dad is a minister of music and is a church musician, was my first choir director in uh, beginner choir, four-year-old choir, and uh, uh, worked with him all the way through, and uh, he was retired from full-time work a number of years ago, and my mother's health began to fail, and uh, has served several smaller churches in uh, Texas and then back in Florida, and uh, sort of the neat story, uh, my mother died about five years ago, I guess, and dad remarried about two and a half years ago to a lady that was his pianist and church secretary back in the 60s at a little church in Florida, and so it's just been neat, so she's playing for him again, so they're like, you know, 76-year-old teenagers, and uh, but it's neat to see how God still continues to use Use people in ministry. Uh, we moved around a lot, and so when I was growing up, we were Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, or Mississippi, if you lived there, and uh, ended up in Alaska. I went to school in Oklahoma, then went to church in Kentucky, and then came to Fort Worth to go to seminary at Southwestern Seminary, and uh, then to the church there. My wife and I were involved in music evangelism for a number of years, for almost eight years, and we were in lots and lots of different churches great churches with orchestras and oh just the fun stuff that you just die to get to do and then more churches where you had a hymnal uh the heavenly highways hymnal several churches where you you did everything out of the hymnal and you know these grand organs with the one octave pedal board <coughs> that you tried to teach the organist come on in to uh, make sure i'm on and chris got started i don't know if he got it started or not but uh, check it for me thank you but um so I had a chance to be in a lot of different churches. Super, thank you. A lot of different churches with a lot of different styles of choirs and a lot of different uh, styles of music, and uh, then uh, served in some churches in college and in Alaska. And uh, my, I guess my second church was in Alaska while I was in college, and my pianist wouldn't play anything over one sharp, and so she would transpose everything and. Uh, you're going, Mary, isn't it easier to play in one sharp than five flats? It's like, oh no, I can't play in, I can't play in, I can't play sharps. I can't play, you know. So anyway, so I've had a chance to do, you know, a little bit of everything. So what I'm going to share with you this morning is sort of a compilation of things that I've learned through uh, trial and error, through school of hard knocks, through listening to some people, and through just. Um, a lot of just life, so I don't know that any of it's going to be that profound, but I hope that it will help you learn. I wish I could say the title of the class is totally original, but I will have to admit that I borrowed the title from a little book that came out about 10 years ago from Abington Press uh, called Oh for a Dozen Tongues to Sing. So um, it's a great little book, and I think it's out of print, but uh, so it's not totally original title. But... 
Uh, this is the commercial time. If any of you uh, are ever looking for music for your churches, if any of you need music that's inexpensive, that's easy to accomplish for your churches, uh, I'd just like you just to take a look. The information for this is on your uh, on the bottom of your the sheet there, the handout. It's an online ministry that we have through the uh, Texas Baptist Convention. Uh, I've been with uh, Texas Baptist for about a little over 14 years. I've been the director now for about uh, almost seven, about seven. Um, about a little over two years ago, we started uh, Counterpoint Music. And the idea for the name came, if you remember your theory, Counterpoint is where you take an existing melody and add something to that. There's a lot of music publishers. We're getting some great music here this week. What we try to do is we're trying to fill the gap with them, trying to provide some things that perhaps weren't are not being offered that we felt like needed to be offered. So what we're doing, everything is online. And um, the song that's playing, is, it's one of the came in, was there. Uh, you can buy this as um, the total musical or as individual anthems. And I won't spend a whole lot of time with this because you can go online and do it. My air card is going really slow today for some reason. But uh, there's two new Christmas musicals that are out. Some of them have lots of drama. Uh, one of the ones, um, you can sort of hold that up, uh, towards the rehearsal before Christmas is something we've never tried to do before, or quite exactly like it. The idea of the performance is uh, a choir getting ready for rehearsal, and the director comes in, and he says, I'm sorry I'm late, and looks up, and nobody else is there. And so he starts talking stuff, and they don't care, they don't do, oh, I'm offline, that's why it's not working. Uh, anyway, we'll just go We'll just play some music then. Uh, it won't play if I'm offline. Anyway, we've designed everything, excuse me, <coughs> with the idea that your sopranos really don't have it anymore. And uh, <laughs> they're trying really hard. The altos are okay if you have any. The tenors are there. And the basses need to be there to give their wives a ride home after dinner, <laughs> after, after rehearsal. Uh, we try to keep it very, very simple, but yet keep it very interesting. Um, we have several different arrangers that arrange for us. We're having it all arranged in uh, uh, Nashville. Chris Crunk has been doing most of our arranging. He does most of the arranging for uh, Russell Malden with Russell's uh, easy to sing things that he does for several of the other publishers. But uh, take a look. Some of it are more contemporary, and some of them are more traditional. We have six different Christmas musicals available now, and you can either buy the whole musical or you can go online and buy just one anthem. There's several things uh, in one of those, I can't remember now. There's We have two different versions of As I Hold You. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time, but it's Mary singing to Jesus. And it says, As I Hold You, you know, tiny fingers wrapped around mine uh, that touch the world. And it says, As I Hold You, Hold Me. But it's just a beautiful song, sort of has that Amy Grant kind of a feel, sort of that alto voice, just sort of there. Some of them are solo-driven back up. Anyway, all that said, that's about all I'm going to say for that. But there's six Christmas musicals. There's one that's, uh, there's four Easter. One of the Easter is a Southern Gospel, sort of a fun thing, very, very simple to do. And um, uh, take a look at it. We're offering to, if, anybody, if you want to call in, like by the end of next month, it, we're offering a 15% discount off of anything if you order. If you just tell them that you were at the Bader Alleluia conference, uh, they'll provide a uh, discount for that. The anthems, like if you're going to buy a single anthem, it's $30, and then you have the right to copy everything uh, that you need for it. And it's the vocal parts, the choir part, the accompaniment part for your choir, the P these are all in PDF. Uh, some of them have some instrumental, like some rhythm. If, you know, everything we have comes with that. So it's likely the rhythm, the guitar, some of the more contemporary and all that. And also, MP3 files, uh, a, a split track accompaniment, if you, need, if you need to sing along with it, the listening track, and then soprano, alto, tenor, bass, listening things. And all that's included. So like for an anthem, if you wanted to do that, for $30, you've got that. You've got some sweat equity that you put into it to print off however many copies you do, you can take, they'll send you the files for the MP3 files. You can burn those off as CDs or you can send them. If you don't know how to do that, we have our phone person who's uh, Jody can talk you through that or there'll be a teenager in your church that will know exactly what you need to do. 
and they can teach you how to do it or they'll teach you how to email it to your choir members so they can burn it off and put it on their iPods or their iPhones and they can take care of it. But take a look at it if it can help you. Uh, there's a beautiful arrangement of those Sacred Head Now Wounded that's, uh, you, can go to, you can go to the anthem list and look these up by, by title. A Sacred Head Now Wounded that has a baritone solo with guitar and has a little chorus that comes in sort of like the new uh, my Chains Are Gone's Amazing Grace, but has that new little chorus that's just a fresh, but it's the whole hymn of Old Sacred Head. And it is very, very nice. So take a look at it, and if it can help you, that's the end of my commercial. I spent more time than what I wanted to on that. And I'm going to walk around a little bit. <clears throat> Feel free to stop and ask questions. Uh, <clears throat> I want to get through the first part of this. Um, I believe that smaller choirs can learn to sing well. Smaller choirs can sing well. You don't have to have a big choir to sing well. And I think sometimes the mark of a great choir and the challenge is to be able to take a smaller choir with the challenges that we talked about. Sometimes you have the sopranos that have lost it, the altos are sort of there, the tenors may or may not be there, and the basses may or may not be there. The challenge and the opportunity to take a smaller group of imperfect singers and to work with them and to get so that they sing well and sing beautifully is a great fulfillment that can also almost be more exciting than taking 50 or 60, 70, 100 people who sing well and doing something. Now I'm not opposed to taking a 100 voice choir and doing something with them. I mean that is awesome. But if you can't take 100 music majors and sing really well, you, there's something wrong with you if you can't direct a choir full of music majors. You know? But for those of us that have smaller choirs made up of non-musicians, we get to teach them what we want them to learn. And so there are opportunities. Let's stop and pray, and we're going to continue through this. Father, thank you so much for the opportunities that you've given to us. Thank you for the privilege of working with your children. Thank you for the joys. Thank you for the challenges. And Lord, thank you for the opportunities that we have to continually focus on you as the source of our strength, as the source of our joy, as the source of the music that you place within us. Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As directors, we have an opportunity to do so much with our people. And I put in here, directors are a dream. Don't be the nightmare on church street. And there's a special bond that can come between you and the people in your choir. And there's just something about that relationship that is very, very unique. Um, yesterday I sat in on some of the classes that Alan Raines taught. Alan's the new choral director here at Baylor, and it was just amazing. I thought, how am I even trying to teach some of this stuff? But one of the things he, were any of y'all in the, in the classes yesterday? I saw it, but one of the things he was talking about is getting people to drop their guard so that they can sing out. And I loved his analogy. He said that everybody is a good singer in the shower. You know, everybody's a good singer in the shower, especially if you have a walk-in with nice you know, tile and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because you have no inhibitions. You're in there. Usually you think there's nobody listening, and nobody can hear you, and so you're just singing. That's what we need to try to get to the point that when we're before our choir, we get our people to drop their inhibitions. And how do we do that? It's by building up our people skills. This is one of the things that I see a lot of directors get caught with. It's building up respect, patience. Oh, oh patience. One of the things I, I tell some of my choir sometimes, especially my senior, I work with a senior to choir at our church. That's what I do for fun. That's my, my hobby. If that's the only thing about my weirdness. But uh, I get to because I can't be at church on Sundays because I travel so much on so many different churches. So that's what I can do during the week. And, and the convention lets me off to do that. I say, thank you for being patient with me. Just remember, I'm patient with you. And so that's a sort of a reciprocal thing there. We're there to minister to them, and we're there to serve them. So work on that aspect of the people's skills, particularly being respectful. Respect is to be respectful of them as individuals, of their time, of what they have to bring. They're not going to be the Mormon tabernacle choir or whatever but earn their respect by being respectful to them. 
musical skills, this is all our responsibility as directors. We've got to improve our basic musicianship, and it's through coming to things like this. Rhythm, pitch, musicality. Continually work on your voice. If you're a keyboard person, work on that skill. You know, I, my mother always said one day I'd regret not practicing the piano. You know, and she, I had to write her a letter one day and tell her she was right. That, you know, even though my grandmother paid for my piano lessons, I didn't practice. Now, I'm reaping the, I'm paying for that, you know. But, but continually work on those skills. If you're a guitarist, if you do contemporary worship, all that. Know your musical terms, express yours clearly, but don't show off. Don't try to impress your choir, particularly a smaller choir, with all the wonderful things you know. That, I think, is counterproductive. Directing skills, and I'm going to run through some of this there. Directing skills, basic, know your conducting patterns. And sometimes it's just a matter of doing a little book that I've talked about that I've sort of pirated the name for this, Over a Dozen Tons of Things. There's several books that are out there that show the conducting pattern. But the more clear you can be with your pattern of knowing, a friend used to say, you know, four floors, floor, wall, window, ceiling. You know, no, the more clear you can be, the better it is. Where's your downbeat? Downbeat should be down. Use a mirror, use a video, watch so that you can see what your choir sees. A lot of time we don't realize what our choir sees. I'm going to get to that more a little bit. Know your moves. Your right hand is what you need to use to show the meter, the tempo, the style. Generally, I think you keep your palm toward the floor, keep it sort of, you know, my wrist doesn't turn exactly. But you sort of see all sorts of different things. You want to be clear to your people. So whatever, you know, movement off of one school that everybody conducted like this because their choral director had lost the middle finger on his hand, and so everybody conducted like this, you know. Generally, you see different things, but keep the wrist as an extension of what you are, and keep, keep it consistent, keep it sort of down so that you're not waving at everybody, you're not flapping, you're not clearing. You want to be very, very clear it's a work above your horizontal plane, and that is going to vary. So like if I'm here, um, sometimes I'll say like work from a, an ironing board. Y'all remember what ironing boards are? <laughs> you can adjust those you know, up or down. I prefer the dry cleaners myself. But to get that situated where it's about waist level, or depending on where your, uh, you know, where, your, <laughs> where your waist is, you know, for some of you are all legs, of where that is, but work from there and keep that plane about about right, so this is down, so that's, that's your level plane, so one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, so that your choir can know exactly where you're at. Uh, and be aware of your vertical plane of, 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 of here or here. I, I, I have a friend that all of his cues are back like this, I'm going like, that's great when I'm sitting out in the congregation, but, <laughs> you know, but here, but it's like, don't get yourself... Be aware of what you're doing. That's where a video or a mirror, and I hate working with those. I hate working with those, but it is invaluable. Um, your left hand. What does your left hand do? The poor left hand. The poor left hand. Generally, we'll just want to mirror because it's easier that way. It sort of keeps us going. Okay, that way we know both, you know, sort of like rubbing your hand and patting your head and patting your foot. Generally speaking, Save your left hand. If you need to practice, sometimes put the left hand down to your side. But use your left hand. What I've put down here, uh, use it to give cues, give entrances. So give people, get their eyes. I love to look in people's eyes. Give an entrance. Uh, give a release so they know when to release. And shape your phrases. So that's what your left hand needs to do. So that's where we need to do some things. And if we have like two hours in here, I'd spend more time on that. But, but use that left hand to show them what you want. That leads me to the next item. Show the choir what you want. A lot of times our tendency is to talk too much in rehearsal. They're there to sing. They want to sing. So if we've refined our conducting skills, we can show them what we want. Because if we can go... Da, dee, da, 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 dee. and they can sing uh, that we don't have to stop and say choir want a crescendo on here I love what Alan was doing with the, you know, showing phrases this way if we can teach the choir what we want show them 
crescendo and decrescendo shows him how to sing. We don't have to spend all of our time talking and stopping and say, choir, I need you to decrescendo. I need to crescendo here. Help them do, show them what you want from them. Uh, face them, look, skim through here. Look at them. Look at them. Several years ago, Warren Angel, who used to be the dean at Oklahoma Baptist University, wrote a book called Look Up, You Singers. Get your choir to look up. But it's real hard for the choir to look up if when they look up, what do they see from their director, the top of the director's head? I've heard people talk about, you know, don't get a paper clip in your nose from looking at the music, you know, looking there. But get them to look up, help them learn how to hold their music, and that is so hard, so hard. But that's where the respect, find humor, find any way that you can to get them to look up. But you look up, you smile. You can mouth the words, but get out of the habit of singing along with the choir. Sometimes we feel like we've got to sing along with our choirs, especially our smaller choirs, to help them out. And sometimes it does help them out. And sometimes it confuses them because they're not sure. Because I know I find I'm helping out. I want to help out my basses. Then I'm going to switch up here and help the tenors. And then my altos always miss this part over here. So I'm going to help them out on this part. And they're sitting there going like, I thought you were singing my part. And that's, that's not my part. We're singing. And when you're singing along, they're sounding great because I'm hearing myself sing. So you're not hearing them. So fight the urge to sing along with your choir so that you can hear them and that you can concentrate on your conducting. Uh, the choir will become who you are. Uh, study your voice. Look up that. I'm going to move on a little bit. Uh, Listen to different choirs. Uh, hear different sounds in your ear. You know, come to conferences like this. It's great. Uh, anybody use Pandora radio? If you're Pandora, Pandora is great. There's a couple others out there. Pandora is the easiest to use. You can just Google Pandora radio or Pandora, like Pandora's box.com, and you can put in a style of music. And like I have one of my, it builds a radio station for you. It's free. And it'll, you can just listen to it on your computer. And I have it on my iPhone, and I'm driving sometimes and I have it. But like one of my stations is Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And uh, I'll put that on, and what it plays is tons of just choir music. It just rotates that genre of whatever you put in. Another great uh, choral sound is the Aust uh, Atlanta Sacred Chorale. Atlanta Sacred Chorale. And they have a website, just great choral sounds. but. Find some of those things that you want to listen to that has different types of sounds so that you have some sounds in your ears so that you can tell your choir, this is what we're looking for. Or, this is, that's the sound that you have in your ear. One of the biggest challenges for smaller choirs is finding music that is appropriate for them. And uh, Alan mentioned that yesterday in his session. There's some music that is great, wonderful music. There's some music that is great, wonderful music that is absolutely wrong for certain choirs. And that's the key. That is the key. If you've got a smaller choir, generally you're more limited in voice parts, right? Is that is that an assumption? I want to, you know, feel free to jump in and ask questions too, because I don't want you to um, I don't want to just drone on. But one of the things that I always look at when I'm looking for my senior adults or some smaller choirs, a lot of times I go to the end of the song. I look at the text first. Okay, make sure the text works. I think that's the first thing I put down. You've got to make sure it fits in your context of your church and your thing. Make sure the text fits that they can relate to the text. Then I look at the end of the music. If it's got high A's and G's or high A's and C's and all that kind of stuff, most of the choirs that I'm working with ain't going to cut it. So then I look, okay, can I cut this off before that last key change? You know, can we just do a nice thing and just do a nice little tonic and, or do a little tag on that? And, and can I fix it? Okay. And is it worth fixing? Because sometimes it's not worth doing that to. Don't be a musical purist. And I don't think I can put that in there. I used to be a musical purist, but we were going to learn everything. We were going to learn every note. We were going to do that. Even my senior adults, we were going to learn everything. And then finally, it's like, you know, the only person that's really stressing over that was me. I would rather them learn to sing well. If I need to leave out a part, leave out a part. If my men are cutting it on the SATB and I want to put everybody on the baseline, just put everybody on the baseline. 
Don't worry about that. If there's a major cord that's missing, look and make sure that note in the center is covered in accompaniment or the alcove may be covered in it. You know, you've got an alcove that would love to have the chance to come tenor. You know, and it's like, you know, do what works for your choir. So if you need to cut a song off early, or a lot of times I will rewrite the top note on the soprano line. If it goes da 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 da, just bring it down. It may not have quite the same as a hundred voice choir, but then I don't have a hundred voice choir, and so you have what you have to work with, and so and that's okay. And I think that's another thing. If you are disappointed with your choir, they're going to be disappointed. So if you can get excited on what they can do, that is going to be a huge thing for them. So finding the right music. And looking, for, you, you'll know some publishers and some arrangers and some writers that, you know, a lot of their stuff works and works very, very well. And then you'll find some other things go, oh, this is great. It's like, oh, I just wish I could do that, but I can't. So I'll, you know, do that in my next life, you know, and do some of the things there. Um, take a look at Counterpoint Music. This is, that's the commercial thing there. That, um, because that's one of the things we've tried to do. We miss the mark on that sometimes. You know, sometimes the guys will do it and I call them and say, you know, that's just, we're spending some time, you know, the, the sopranos, they're, they're singing A's just a little, or G's a little too much on that or something, but, but that's their rhythm. I've heard some choirs sometimes that they just, they, they ain't got the, you know, the, 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 the rhythm stuff, the, the syncopated. So I stay away from that, and I'll try to teach that to them, but it's like, if they're going to master for it, I want to find things that will make them be successful. Uh, the accompaniment. Any of you ever had to work with accompanists that just can't quite accompany? Um, you, you know, soundtracks are not my favorite, favorite of things to use, but sometimes I have to use them. And there again, if you have a soundtrack that you use, make sure it's appropriate for your group. Um, even like the children's choir. So if any of you have children's choirs, you probably coordinate some with that. There's some tracks for kids that are great, and there are other tracks that it's like, okay, this was great. If I was doing a Broadway show with my kids, and I had you know six kids that are all having wearing body mics, and we're screaming and doing all this kind of stuff, but it's like so heavily orchestrated that you can't hear the kids. And it's the same way sometimes with um, you know certain voices. And I'm gonna touch on some stuff here. I think. Uh, a lot of our smaller choirs are a lot of older voices, and there's some instrumentations that you stay away from. I learned that the hard way. Um, sometimes senior adults don't need to be accompanied by oboes or clarinets because that just brings out a nasal quality and timbre and voices that you don't want to hear. That just, it's just a physiological thing with air. Find what's going to work best for your group. Just be aware of that and, uh, and work for that. Uh, prepare. And I put the top 10 things here. Know your music. That's one of the biggest keys, I think, everything. We've got to be prepared. It's so easy sometimes for a smaller group to go, it's like, well, they won't mind. They love me. There's only 15 people there. But if you're prepared, your rehearsals can go quicker. You know what to teach. You know what you're looking for. And you can move through it. Have a plan for rehearsal. Know what you're going to be teaching. Know where you want to go. Be flexible with your plan, but have a plan, have it laid out, and know where you want to go. Rehearse with your accompanist. Sometimes we waste so much rehearsal time because your accompanist doesn't know where you're at. Sometimes you've got a dream accompanist that knows where you're going before you even get there. That doesn't happen all the time. But let them know. They want to help. They want to be involved, and they want to be there. Rehearse with them. <clears throat> Balance uh, the difficult with simpler music. Don't do all your hard music right in a row, give your people a chance for their brains to sort of do so. Get a flow going in your rehearsal, and that's where the plan comes in. Rehearse several weeks on an anthem. I don't know how many people I've talked to that they work one or two weeks out. And sometimes we get caught and we don't have a choice. You know, the pastor says, I want to do such and such, such and such, or some such theme, and you know, sure, I'd love to, <clears throat> yeah, I'd love to, you know, do the Brahms Requiem next week, you know, but there's times that you have to accommodate. But as a general rule, try to work where you're, you're rehearsing six to eight weeks out. <clears throat> Even if you just do one section of that anthem, 
you know, introduce the difficult part here and then put it away and go to something else. That way they're, you've got a saturation level. But work several weeks in advance. Uh, don't be afraid to repeat songs. I used to think you had to have a new song every Sunday, and I don't know where I picked up on that. That was years ago. And my church budget, we couldn't handle that. I don't know what I was doing. I guess it was a good thing I only stayed at that church two years. It was probably one of the reasons. But um, don't be afraid to repeat songs. Allow some time in between and do something different each time you repeat it. That's a good opportunity to start memorizing some of the music as you, you know, come back and repeat it. Yes? Do you have a range, like, how long you go before you will purchase something? Some people, I don't personally. Some people, uh, I know there's one minister of music that used to repeat like every uh, every two or three weeks he would come back in and then sing with music that week by memory the next week. And then when they'd pull it back in several months later, they would pull it by. But he always, he would, he would sing 50 new anthems every year is what his pattern used to be. No, not 25, excuse me, 25. But he would sing everything at least twice a year and then be able to pull some things back in. But I think two weeks out is a little bit much, personally. But I would think even like a month in between or Our so. Our choir only sings about once a month, maybe twice a month. Oh, really? Currently. Okay. Which obviously isn't good. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we repeat stuff, they're not learning a whole lot of new music. Yeah. So if they're repeating something, I'm thinking maybe they've sung the music before. I'm yeah. In that situation, probably if you repeat too much, they're not working on anything new. Because yeah. people, they want to work. The choir, they're there for a reason. You got to find out what they're there for, and they like to sing and learn new music. We don't like to do the same thing over and over and over. You know, unless you're a preschooler, mm -hmm. and the preschoolers need to sing the same thing over and over. It's okay. You're, that's that's my other commercial for preschool. You may get bored. Your workers may get bored because preschoolers don't listen to them. You know, go. You know, that's enough. That's enough. You listen to a preschooler. They do repetitions, but. For you, probably six months or a year is going to be a better way to repeat. Well, for most people, a month, two months. Did you have a question? Yeah, well, um, my dream is to know just with the hits what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> but I don't always have... We don't always get what we want, do we? That's, that's right. I'm wondering, um, I try to go with the pastor gives me the sermon mm -hmm. plan or the things that he's doing, and I sometimes don't get those. How many of you work with the liturgy? Y'all work with us uh, on the liturgical year, the calendar year. So that helps. At least you know some of your scriptures that are coming up, which helps. In a lot of our Baptist churches, we don't have that. It's sort of like, you know, something. That's where it's good to have some anthems that, you know, I work, used to work with an evangelist one time, you know, and it was like, just preach on Jesus, preach on Jesus, you know. And that's not a bad thing, you know, just, you know, so sing on Jesus, you know. So have a few anthems, you know, some little sugar sticks that we've got to know that this one will slide into some slots that we always need to that the choir can know if you need to have some. But that is always the challenge of there. That used to frustrate me greatly. Most of the pastors that I've worked with have not known until, like, Friday, what they're going to be preaching on. So we've already had like all the rehearsals, bulletins have been printed and all that. So I can't wait, you know, till Friday or Saturday to make my choice. And that used to really frustrate me to the point that it hindered my worship. It, it hindered my relationship with my pastor. So I had to look for ways that I came up with my own plan. And I could come out of that if I needed to. And so I was looking, I can't remember if that's in one of the classes, I can't remember which one I thought but I'd look at like the adult Sunday school literature, the Bible study literature, see where they were going to be in Bible study the hour before we had worship. And that way, at least in my brain, they've had some carryover into what I was planning, that there was some connectivity. I like to have some level of connectivity. And so I could come out of that if I wanted to, or I had to have some ideas in my mind. So that's sort of where you have to sort of massage your situation. And if you can work, or try to theme your music out so that you're, you know, you're like, you know, this is, you know, Jesus, lots and lots and lots of Jesus, I love you, Jesus, you're wonderful, Jesus, you're the, you know, whatever, or God, you know, try to have some things like that that fit into Jesus the name, God the Father, you know, the theologically what fits, but that is a, that is a challenge that we always constantly have to work with, no matter what size church. 
the word means. But, uh, but that is is a dream. I love it when you you know get pastors that will give you their sermons you know three months or six months out, and you know some of them give you the whole outline and everything. And it's like I, I have, I've never served with a pastor that way. I served interims. You know, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven. It's like, God, why couldn't you ever, you know, call me? You know, I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, why couldn't I be in a church permanently that had a pastor that could work that far out? But, um, you know, that's not true. That's where you have to find what works for you, that you can do it. So, but hell, God. Even when you meet with us in plan. Say, what a dream. Even, even though we, we're anticipating when Jason would go back as a church for a year, Occasionally, she'll do a sermon series, mm -hmm. like, you know, for three or four weeks. But no matter what, we will actually meet one morning or one afternoon and sit down and plan that next year and what we need to go over. And that was a great even just uh, to have yeah. to even get them uh, to do that. That's a dream. Love and he's preaching on David and Bathsheba. Yeah. <laughs> or else he's picked that, that hymn for that morning. You know? Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So if you've got a few of those generic ones right. that you've gone over and they know, uh, you can slip them in. That's for having some of those anthems, the back, the sugar sticks, you know, some in your back yeah. pocket that you can pull out helps tremendously to, you know, to do or that way if, you, if you've got a solo that you can do, you know. I have a pastor that really, really likes this one medley that we do. Uh, it's frosted medley, and it's got all of the old hymns that are kind of put together, mm -hmm. and he just loves that one. So we are doing that one three times a year. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know. Well, see, a lot of in, in our ch different churches have different traditions. A lot of our African-American churches, well, their pastors a lot of times will come up to preach when they feel spirit moving and spirit ready so a lot of their musicians have to have three or four songs ready in addition to the one that they planned because if the pastor's not ready to preach you just keep going and the choir if he's not up there in the, behind the pulpit the choir just has to keep on singing and so that's another challenge where they've got to so you know you find out what works in your in your unique culture and your unique situation work but, but you know you need to have sugar stick, and it's okay. Sugar sticks are, you know, sort of like chocolate. Chocolate is a food group, you know, and uh, sugar, you know, finding those things that the choir knows that's comfortable for them to sing and all that is very, very good. Um, in our rehearsals, teach, and here's some of the things I put down. Let's see, where are the title tells my time good here. Because uh, I want to talk and see if you have some questions here. Um, teach. Teach them how to do some music. Start off very slowly, but one of the things we get so caught up, how many of you have more than an hour for rehearsal time a week? An hour, hour more than an hour and a half? And that hour and a half goes, because you, you take away time for prayer requests, for people getting late, you know, couple stragglers coming in, and then people that have to leave early, and you lose momentum, and then people have to find their music. You know, there's... That's not an hour or an hour and a half of straight singing like you can do sometimes. In an, even in an academic situation, you can't do that. So you're looking at an hour and a half rehearsal time, probably really only an hour, an hour and 10 minutes of actual singing. An hour, you're probably looking at 45 minutes singing time. So we've got to be very strategic in the skills we teach them. But we've all heard the thing, you know, teach a man, you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a meal, teach a man to teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. That's what we do with our singers. If we can teach them the skills to learn how, even if it's just a matter of looking at the page and knowing the 
meter signature or knowing the time signature or I mean the, the key signature. Knowing what the starting off helping them know if the notes go up towards the top of the staff or down or here, their voice is going to go this way or this way. Sometimes that's a great revelation for some of our people. And move on. Find your people where they are and start giving them the skills to learn how to do it. Teach them how to read rhythms. Teach them how to do. Sometimes I even have them teach them to conduct so that they know what I'm doing, so they know what I'm looking at. But incorporate things like that into their uh, into your rehearsal. Singing fundamentals. One of the things for getting a choir to sing well is their posture. And we know that. Sometimes we just forget. We're so busy. We're so focused on what we're doing. You don't realize what the choir is doing. You know? And sometimes they don't realize, as tired as they are, it's less fatiguing to have good posture than to allow yourself to slump and to do things because then what that does, that pulls all the other muscles every, every other way. So, and that's where, I'm, you know, good feet positions, stand tall, um, the spine and the hips to keep that as straight, you know, as they can. Uh, sometimes you'll see people, they'll be, they'll be standing, you know, like, why are you doing that? You know, or they'll be jutting the hips out or so, but get them to stand in a position where the body has a chance to work as freely. Uh, get a sight line. We talked about holding folders up. That's why I love to memorize with the choirs because then they can't, I call that nasty music. And I love, uh, Alan talked yesterday about the dead tree. You know, these are dead trees. You know, we're, we're singing, you know, in the dead trees. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, hold the folder for a good sight line. Get them to get used to holding it up so you can see your music and see me. You know, hold, you know, you know, hold it so you can see your music and see me. You know, what I do. Avoid jetting the jaw. That's one of the big things you see them. They'll just want to, especially in contemporary worship. Do like this and what that pulls, pulls everything out of line. So your choir, and a lot of times you can do the idea of like a marionette or feel like you've got a string pull them up from the top of the head and do some movement with them so that they learn by muscle memory what to do. Have them stand up during rehearsal. We'll talk about that. If you sit down in rehearsal for the whole hour, hour and a half, never stand, they don't have a chance to practice what it feels like to stand correctly so that they get up in performance on Sunday morning. They're not used to that. So go through what they're going to be doing. Breathing. Breathing is something that's also very important. It also beats the alternative, you know. I don't know if the absence of the body is to be present with the Lord. But teach them to breathe deeply. Keep the shoulders quiet. Most choirs, you see their shoulders going up. And what they're doing is that shallow breathing, like we do when we just run or walk up the stairs or you know, walked across campus. It has its place because it's a quick exchange of oxygen. But teach them that low, steady breathing that we need for singing. Breathe in at the beginning of each phrase, and that's where our conducting comes in. If we know how we're conducting, if we're giving a preparation beat or prep beat, if we breathe in each time, when they see us do that, teach them breathe, Teach them to do that. That sets up so that they did then have the breath that they need. Warm up. I've been in choirs before, and when I was in seminary, oh, we would, you know, I was so good when I was in seminary. You know, singing all the songs we taught, you know, we learned in conducting class and doing all the warm ups we were doing in all the choirs and everything. Most of my choir would stand out in the hallway by the choir folder. We had folder slots in the church I was in. We didn't have a choir room, so we rehearsed in the, in the choir loft, and the folders were, you know, on either side of the. They would stay outside getting the music while we were warmed up, and then they would come in as soon as we were over. And I'm going like, okay, that really did a lot of good, you know. So uh, we'd find ways to incorporate the warm-ups into the choir rehearsal time. And also, if you only have an hour, you don't want to spend 15 minutes on warm-ups unless you're a really, really good choral uh, technician for teaching the music. So find some things that you can do very, very quickly, but it is important for us to warm up. Breathe deeply. Uh, yawn, sigh, that's the oh, oh, or the ooh, ooh. Have you, are, are you familiar with those, you know, weird, ooh, it requires love to do it, you know, you make jokes about the pastor walking in while everybody's going, ooh, or another one that is a joke uh, for some of the groups that I've worked with that I've done, it came from a song that we were doing called Oh My My, but it was, oh my, 
oh my, but sort of you know connects with that. I said that's our time to complain, you know, because no time anybody wants to listen to it. So that's when we complain. But it's getting the voice to sort of solidify and getting us unified. You think about one of your people, are some of you are bivocational, have another job and come to church to do your rehearsal. You know what that feels like. That's what I feel like when I do the interims now. I've been working at the office all day long. I've been there since, you know, 7.38. And I run out of there, run to the church, try to grab something either on the way or eat at church supper. And then you're sitting and talking to people and you get in the car rehearsal, you're trying to get everything there. You really feel all together, right? And, yeah. Well, your people have done the same thing. Some of them, you may have a guy that drives a truck for Keeper Cookie, and he's been driving since 4 o'clock that morning. And you may have a guy that's been doing, you know, something else. You may have a nurse that's been on her feet all day long that's worked since 7 o'clock, gets off at 7, and she's in your car, room, car rehearsal at 7.30, has just grabbed a, you know, whopper, whopper on the way to church. They're tired. And that is a, needs to be a time that they're energized. You may not have to spend a long time, but just time to warm the body up, to get it focused, to get them together and thinking so that they body is ready to do that. It also energizes the body, and so they can work. I found like the, the vowels, and like the, I put here the me, me, ma, mo, mu is a good thing to do because it sort of it gets mm, sort of buzzy, the humming, it gets in the forward, it works up in the back, and all that. That's a very good, I'm going to run through this really good. It's also good, particularly with your inexperienced singers, to work from the mid-range down. Don't vocalize them really, really high, don't do them really, really low. Work that mid-range so that they're comfortable with that, because that's where most of their stuff is singing, and then work them out, gradually expand that, but focus on that mid-range and really get that where that's very comfortable and then expand it, because you don't want your singer, your sopranos don't need to be singing high Cs. If you're not doing that, you know, they need to be able to get up to G, A, and all that, but work for those warm-ups to get there. One of the best ways is find an awkward interval in the music that they're doing and pull that out and rehearse that so they get that sound in their ear. And this is a lot of this can be done in the midst of the music. So if you have a choir like I had, if they're totally opposed to that, and a lot of it they don't know what to do for a vocal ease. If any of us have had any musical training, you know, we're used to standing around being weird for that. They don't know what to do and they feel put on the spot so if you can Pull it out and put that into little bitty increments. Start off with breathing at the beginning to get that lined up, but then pull these warm-up times in to help. Our resonance or good vocal tone. This is something that's great to talk about. I'd avoid using this word resonance a lot with the people because they don't know what that is. But get them to reduce the tension in the face, the tongue, the jaw, and the neck, to do some things where they're moving, they're moving around to get it, you know, where you're not seeing all the veins and everything coming out and everything. Look pleasant, look happy to have that vibrant sound. Keep the mouth and the throat open. You know, talk about, sometimes you'll hear people talking about the cathedral that's in our head or that we need lots of space in our head. And some of us have more space in our head than others do, you know. But we need all that space to, to move around. And I'll sometimes I'll use this space. We need this space for the sound to move around. But you know what this is? It's a dead one of these. You know, so we want to avoid this kind of flat singing. We want this, ooh, this, oh, sacred head now, oh, sacred head now. It's just a matter of the soft palate of getting that pulled up. So sometimes you're just getting people to think. Sometimes they raise your eye, you know, raise your eyebrows, and that works. You want to be careful not to get the person that's going to overdo. To do everything, and when they raise the eyebrows, it looks like a bad facelift, you know, and they're going to, get all this uh, out of whack and all stuff. Look for ways that you can help to keep the openness and the space. One of the biggest, biggest things with a choir of any size is vowel color. A choir will sound out of tune if the vowels are not lined up. And you look at pictures of choirs. You can go like online or, in the, or like even the pictures where they show us singing, like all the pictures from the internet, like of all the concerts and all this. Um, look at the vowels. You have an ah, 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 ah. 
you put all those together, it's not going to line up. So work for the consistency of the vowel sound. Sometimes you can do, um, take the consonants out. And I don't know why this song is stuck in my head today, but took out the consonants of those sacred dead no wounded. And what you're doing, all of a sudden they're having to stop and think because they can't think. Oh, sacred head now wounded with grief and pain made down. So take out the consonants and work for that line of getting those vowels lined up. Um, Interjust sound. Avoid singing loud. Sing full. Loud singing can damage the vocal mechanism and, and really do some damage. But so if you work for singing full, that can help. Um, Relaxation, oh my goodness, uh, do the thing. Need your neighbors, one, you know, lovely thing, you know, turn around and give everybody a little massage. Vary the pace of your rehearsal, huh, challenge. Uh, oh my goodness, look down to three. Perfect practice makes perfect. Avoid the tendency just to sing it again. When you stop in rehearsal, why did you stop? Have a purpose. Don't just stop and sing it over again. Stop and say, Prentice, I'd like for you to listen to this. This interval here was off. And if you don't know exactly what it was, have your accompanist play it, sing it, or say, Prentice, there was something wrong over here. I want you to hear it, sing it again. This isn't quite right. Work with that. Say, everybody, let's sing the soprano part. Keep your people engaged so that, you know, this half of the choir is not talking while you're trying to work with that section so you can stay focused and keep that quick. But if you just sing it again, they're going to do it. I put up here, perfect practice makes perfect. You know, your mother used to tell you practice makes perfect. That's wrong. Perfect practice makes perfect because we will sing what we, we will do whatever we rehearse. Rehearse a specific area. Take the things out. Layer it down. If we need to work with pitch, work with pitch. Take the words out. So do a do. Do, 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 do. Listen for those intervals that might be off. Uh, if it's the rhythm, ba, 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 ba. last night Joseph Martin did one of the things that he taught in one of the songs we were reading. There was going to be a, a tricky rhythmic spot. He taught us what that rhythm was in that song before we sang the anthem so that we could get it when we got there. Uh, diction. Vowel color, attack, uh, uh, we talked about that. Learn the most difficult section first. With the way our brains are, we can run into a train wreck and all of a sudden it's like, ah, I can't get it, I can't get it. So pull that section out, and that's what I said a while ago, like starting six, eight weeks before, you've got this B section, this A, B, A section, or A, A, you know, sections that are the same, sections the same, sections that's like, whoa, why did they do that? And then it ends up similar. Take that whoa section out and break it down, let them listen to it maybe, sing it, break that out so they can hear that, let them feel comfortable with that part before they even look at the other parts. Then they can sing the easy part when they get there, whoa. They know it, so you've given them the skills to be successful. Uh, be consistent with your instruction. You can save a lot of time in rehearsal if you'll stay on track. can't hear and it takes longer for it to register what they heard to get to their fingers, okay? So give them a couple of seconds and it's okay. Don't say anything about it. Just say page four, line three, measure two. Ready? And go. So get them conditioned to that. You can save a lot of rehearsal time. Uh, encourage your choir to breathe into preparation beat. Think the beginning of the pitch. Oh, Hey, hey. Think.
teaching moments and look through this if you have any questions with any of this um, look at number four well number four number three keep members active some sing on do others sing on the word what I may want to have is have the the uh, um, one part's having trouble my tenors are having trouble so I'm going to have them sing the word so I'm going to have everybody else sing too and I'm going to have the tenors too all sacred had no wounded. Have that so that they're working, I can hear them. Everybody else is involved and engaged. The tenors are hearing how the chords fit with that, but yet they're not, their part's being brought out, so that's the technique. Uh, have them tap a steady beat if it's a rhythmic part, and tapping it like, like on their leg, their forward, sometimes better than clapping, or like using this, of course, if they have their music there, but sometimes just tapping, that's adding a tactile feeling to what they're doing. Uh, keep everybody keep them listening. Uh, look down at vary the rehearsal um, techniques. Experiment with different arrangements of the voices. Sometimes this is the untouchable thing that the men always sit on the back row, the sopranos are always here, the altos are always here. Do some things, perhaps if you have a choir room, one time go to the fellowship hall. Go to a Sunday school room. Go to a foyer. Rehearse in the narthex. Uh, rehearse in the sanctuary sometimes. Uh, rehearse outside. We did that one time out in the parking lot for something we were doing. I think we did it because the air conditioner was broken. But it made a huge impact, just that different sort of surrounding of doing something. And then you can try some things of, you know, a smaller choir. This is where small choirs are really, really good because you can put the piano in the middle of everybody stand around it. And all of a sudden, you're hearing different parts that you hadn't realized you heard. Worked with the choir not too long ago. We had one guy in the youth choir. He was singing an octave lower. It was like, you know, it's like, and finally it's like, you know, but we hadn't heard who, we couldn't tell who it was. And so when we pulled it out, there all of a sudden it was real obvious. So then the other guys were going like, hey, dude, you got to sing up here with the rest of us. You know, I love it when they start self-correcting, but um, use the open square arrangement. Any sacred harp singers in here? Sacred Harp sings where the director's in the middle and it's two, it's an open square like this. And that can be really good. You put your piano and your director here and move everybody sitting where they're facing each other. Sopranos, altos, faces, tenors, where they're, they're sort of looking here. Uh, so experiment with that. Experiment with where your people are sitting. Sometimes, you all know when you've sung in choirs, sometimes there's people that you sit next to that's like, oh, this is a dream. It's so easy to sing. And, it's, and then there's sometimes... You know, and it's and it's nothing personal. It's just there's some voices, the timbre of a voice, the, the there's some voices that work very very well together, and some voices that just and so experiment with putting people. Don't tell them necessarily. It's like your voices sound like cats fighting together, but experiment. Just say we're gonna try some new things just to help us learn our music and as work with this. Put the names out. Experiment with some things. Stand, sit, sing from memory, um, walk the thing. I love it. Sopranos, sopranos are always right. <laughs> uh, sopranos need to breathe, relax, watch that wobble. Whoa, 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 whoa. And a lot of that is just not being aware of it. And a lot of that is we age. We've got, there's muscle tone that needs to come. There's, there's more direction. And sometimes... It's just a matter of being told that that's happened. Sometimes it needs to be done in private and working, but that comes from breath, you know, singing with the breath, and just the muscle tour, and sometimes just rehearsal with that. If you have high notes, particularly for your sopranos, if the sopranos are singing anything above an F, let them sing an A. When you've got your sopranos that are singing Lord on a G or an A, it hurts. And if they just sing... Ah, la, 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 whatever. It will sound, the congregation will not be able to tell. It'll sound so much better by modifying the vowels. It's the official word for that, I think. It will sound so much better with that. 
Altos, one thing to do, they're going to want to push the tone if it's low. <laughs> they probably get to sing low and they're going to, my mom used to say, if you got it, flaunt it. You know, they're going to just do that chest voice to the max. Encourage them to use a lighter voice. I love some work with some of our African-American choirs. They can switch from head voice to chest voice like that because they've been taught the difference between head voice and chest voice, and they use it both very, very well. So don't be afraid to teach them, ooh, head voice, ooh, yes. You know, they'll know chest voice very well. Tenors, help them to listen. Listen to themselves, listen to each other. Sometimes you've got tenors that want to help lead the entire choir, or they think there's only three of them, so they've got to, huh! If a tenor's singing a high F, and everybody else is not, we don't need that much high F. On there, and that's one thing for them to help with the balance of realizing tenors can learn to sing falsetto, and that's where they're a little bit of rehearsal of their help. Oh my, um, I put a list of things there for uh, basses. When basses are singing low, make sure they don't go down too low. Sometimes the analogy I use, like when you're walking, uh, you can walk up steps two at a time, think high, but when you're walking down. Sometimes the men that, you know, part of us, we want to succeed and we want to give you everything, you know, that we want to give you. And sometimes what we give you may not be what you're asking for. Or what we, what we think we're giving you is not what you think you're asking for. And so that's working with them. But that burning the tone is that, you know, and it just, it hurts everything. So I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked about that. Anything else? There's some other things here. I'll be glad to answer your questions. Email me. My email's at the bottom. Allow time for um, <clears throat> community. Uh, let your choir do some things. Look for things and opportunities outside the four walls of the church. Look for things where you can go. Um, malls, shopping centers, correctional facilities, um, different things that you can do outside. Have projects and goals to do some things. We all want to be part of something that's beyond us and bigger, but be sensitive to your time and be sensitive to the people's time. Um, you know, a lot of us complain we don't have any young people in our choirs, but yet we don't provide anything for child care, or when we do, we make it such a <sighs> challenging thing, or we don't prepare the child care workers ahead. We don't tell the child care workers if we're having a longer rehearsal or, you know, all those things. Make it, put somebody else in charge of that uh, to help out so you're not having to do it. Um, but anyway, let the choir sing. Choirs like to sing. There's a new beatitude. It says, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. And uh, that, I think, <laughs> can be an overarching uh, beatitude, overarching theme for much of our ministry. There's a lot more information there than what I had time to present, but I want you to at least have some outline or some things to be thinking about. So nothing was really profound, but uh, maybe some things just jog, you, uh, jog some memory. Any other questions with any of that. I wish we had an hour and a half or two hours. I wish we had a choir that we could all work with and sing and all that. But, 
thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for serving. Thank you for helping your people sing and to worship God. And churches, um, choirs are starting to come back. And uh, we've seen several years where choirs have been devalued and underused and underutilized. But choirs are starting to make a trend to come back. And so uh, hang in there. Some of us may not see it in our career, in our active lifestyle, but uh, they are. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to be used in worship and ministry. And uh, they can make an impact. So uh, just because you don't have 100 voices in the choir, you have an opportunity to do some things that uh, you cannot do with a hundred voice choir. So uh, go forth and multiply. If you have any questions, my email's there. Uh, the website's there. If we can help you with counterpoint music and provide some things for you, let us know. We'll be glad to help you out. Thank you for being here. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu/alleluia.